listening to episode 42, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Dave and Beth Borum about their book, When Faith Becomes Sight. Dave and Beth Borum are trained spiritual directors who now work to train other spiritual directors. Beth has written several books, including Starting Something New, Spiritual Direction for Your God-Given Dream. Dave is a graduate of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and now continues his private practice in college and career counseling with Direction for Life. In 2011, they launched Fall Creek Abbey in Indianapolis as a place for individuals to step away from the responsibilities of life and reorient their heart to the loving heart of God. It's often hard for us to live as if God is actively involved in our lives. But have you ever paused to ask yourself why? Why don't you live as if God is an active participant in your daily life? I think it's because we don't think he's really there. We don't see him so we don't pay much attention to him. Sure, we give mental assertion to theological statements like, God is omnipresent. We know in our minds that he is everywhere. But because we don't see him everywhere, we don't live as if it's true. In fact, we may even begin to unconsciously believe that God isn't involved in our daily lives at all. But in this chapter, Dave and Beth help us to see the ways in which God is actively working in our everyday moments of life. How is the book structured? You've got the book structured in three parts. Um, and then what are you trying to do in each one of those parts? Sure. Yeah, there's three parts to the book. And if you want to think about them, they are vantage points. They're perspectives. We're inviting the reader to look in three different directions. Part one is here's what to look for. So what are some phenomenon you might look for in your everyday life that you could that at, at, in some instances you might overlook, but if you begin to open your eyes, perhaps you could notice them as a way in which God is speaking or engaging with you. And then part two is what we look through. And these are different lenses. And we um, identify them as unconscious lenses as well as conscious ones. Like unconscious ones would be um, our God image. So we look through our God image and depending on whether that God image is a distorted one or not, depends on how it causes us to see God. So that would be an unconscious lens. A more conscious one might be using our imagination to read the Gospels and to envision Jesus in those Gospel stories as fully human and fully alive and fully God. So um, conscious lenses, lenses and unconscious lenses. And then the last section is how to look within. And it helps the reader identify the ways in which God is present to them and engaging with them through inner phenomenon like your desires or even your feelings or your resistance, places of resistance uh, to God or to life. Uh, the last chapter of the book is called Night Work, and it's this phenomenon of being in this space where we aren't able to see the work of God because it's hidden to us. So how do we pay attention to those things that go on in, in our inner life that are ways in which God is engaging with us and wanting to invite us into a more intimate, loving relationship? Where does our lack of seeing God come from? 
And what can we do to find God in all things? Mm, that's mm. a really important question. Hmm. Say that one more time, because I think that's a really important question, Chris. If God, and it occurs to me too, because we talk about God being present all around us all the time, right? And and, and that's ultimately what we're getting, what we're, we're striving for when we're talking about this is opening our eyes to God's presence all around us. So if God is all around us, where does our lack of seeing God come from? Hmm. What can we do to find him? I'm sorry. You know how you use that analogy of the channels? Yeah. Like yeah. Well, you guys are too young and probably your listeners are as well. So, but you'll appreciate when we grew up, it was pre-internet, pre-cable TV. And so we could, you know, there was an antenna on top of TVs at that point. We could get three channels and maybe if we were lucky, there was a fourth we could tune into. So we had a very limited, um, I don't know, sense of how the world could reception. come to us through this, this yeah, uh, thing, miracle called TV. Yeah, the reception was limited by that antenna. Then fast forward, our kids, we go and we're at the beach, you know, this beautiful beach, and there's, there's cable TV, which they've never seen before, with a thousand, maybe 10,000 <laughs> channels. And it's just like, oh my gosh, who wants to be at the beach? I mean, there are these 10,000 channels. <laughs> so I think sometimes... Um, we have settled for a very limited way of seeing God. There's like these two, maybe three channels of there's scripture. And I'm not saying they're not valid channels, important channels, but there's our, our faith community. There's scripture, prayer, prayer, maybe a, you know, a preacher or a, or a um, prayer or a person that talks to us. And yet if you read the scriptures, and it's, it's basically the account of the stories of, of people who are trying to make sense of their lives and their context and God's movement toward them, it's just crazy technicolor, isn't it? The way that mm -hmm. God shows up in their lives. And so I think in part, it's, it's not that God's not all around us. We just, we, we've maybe not been coached or even uh, given permission at times mm -hmm. to see God where we've not expected to see God before. I think there's this unconscious belief for many people too, that God is somewhere out there, you know, that I, I have to go to him or seek him or look for him, but God is out there. And so sometimes it's just this unconscious bias that uh, causes us to pass over experiences where God is communicating to us because we don't expect God to be here, to be near, to be personal and intimately involved. And I think part of it, too, is that we are, we are um, our awareness of the complexity of life in our world is, has increased dramatically over the last probably century for sure. And I think as the world has become more complex and overwhelming to us, I think the idea of a God who created all of this and yet is also near to us, personal with us, intimately involved with us, that feels like a bit of a stretch. So I think that's some of what maybe gets in the way of us really believing and seeing and looking and then even trusting our own instincts that I think that this phenomenon, this experience I just had, I think it's God speaking to me. Could some of this be... Uh, 
maybe more of a, a Western problem that we face uh, here in America, uh, having come through the Great Enlightenment, where you see the rise in a lot of these deists who want to kind of push God away out to the remnants where he's kind of set the world in motion and let it keep spinning while he steps back. Uh, and then we are, are kind of left to our own devices to, to figure things out. Um, is the, the lack of awareness that we have today maybe a, a remnant of our cultural upbringing that still kind of echoes what they, they did hundreds of years ago? I think it's certainly exacerbated by that. Um, so I, I think it's a human problem and not only a, um, a post-enlightenment problem. Uh, but I think you're right. I think that we have it in such an intensity. And I don't know what comes to mind. Um, last year was my year with Thomas Merton. I just thought, okay, I need to lean into Thomas Merton. So um, that was kind of what what I spent my year doing. And I remember this one. It was is an introduction to um, one of his books. It wasn't written by Merton, but it was a reflection on Merton's life. And there were these three movements. There was what was described as pre-analytical naivety. And it's it's kind of the faith of a child, if you want to think of it that. You know, there's a bit of this this literalism, this concrete kind of, you know, the way God is, the, the way the world works, that's very beautiful in a child. Then we all go through this phase, and I think the Enlightenment really jacked this up, of an analytical phase where we're just tearing everything apart and we're just trying to make sense of it. And it's like, you know, kind of control it. I mean, if we can understand it, we can control it. Many in our time, that's where they stall out. Mm -hmm. What Merton did, and I think the invitation for all of us could be what was described as a post-analytical naivety. So it's not denying all of that rigorous thinking that we benefit. I mean, we're able to be on this screen tonight because of right. all of that just amazing thinking that's taking place. But to stop there and not move beyond and see the um, the beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the music, the poetry, the heart, the love, you know, all of those facets that uh, could be lost. You've got to, in some ways, you've got to re, you've got to return to your first love, but you return to it as an adult. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we yeah. answered your question, but that was so, that was fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think it did. No, it's good because it actually, it, you know, in some ways we don't think about it like that, but in some ways it makes it more beautiful to have all of that knowledge mm -hmm. and yet yeah. still have that sort of unexplained I mean, we can't explain it from one sense, and yet the awe is still not lost on us. And so it, it still brings us into that. And that's a pretty amazing thing. It is amazing. Um, when we're talking about like recognizing these signs of God, you guys have a few things that I want to ask you about specifically um, in, in, in your first part. The first one, though, that you talk about in chapter one is called a shimmering attraction. This is one of those ways that God gets our attention and wants to show us. So what is a shimmering attraction? Yeah, a shimmering attraction is generally something tangible that that where our attention is drawn toward. And it it has some quality of light to it. I mean, we could use this metaphorically, but I think some there are some really great illustrations in that chapter of like a person that I met with for spiritual direction who 
uh, woke up in the middle of the night and went and let her dogs out. And as she's opening up the sliding glass door, there's this gorgeous crescent moon. And her eyes are immediately drawn to it. And then as she sees it and recognizes that she can only see this little sliver, this very strong thought comes to her as if God is whispering, that's how you see everything, but I see the whole. And so she saw that. She recognized that shimmering attraction. And she was able to sit with that and let it sink in. And eventually it was a very meaningful experience for her that's given her a lot of comfort as well as assurance that she can trust God when, when she can only see the sliver. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good example of what we've been talking about here, that God is present in all of these different areas of our life. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be in scripture that he speaks to us, although he's there, but you know, we're doing the things that we read people are doing in scripture now. Yeah. We're seeing him in those everyday yeah. moments of life as, as we like to talk about. So that's a really great example. But I guess if the if the shimmering attraction is sort of like those these are my words, not yours. Like it sounds like it's a, like a small whisper. Mm. You then talk about something called and you you talk about it as calling a transcendent moment. Mm. And I really wanted to talk about this because one of our favorite questions that we like to ask guests on the podcast is this, and this is the way we phrase it. Now, I, I'll ask it of you, but it's, we, we say, what is the most valuable thing that you've learned in the Christian life? Because we have experienced, and, and we're talking with others, that everybody who's walked this journey for any period of time have, have had these encounters with Christ, that after they've encountered, had a certain moment of encounter with him, Nothing else can be the same. Like their whole life has changed. Their perspective has shifted. And to me, it sounds a little bit like what you guys are talking about as a transcendent moment. And so um, tell us what a transcendent moment is and how does it maybe differ from the question that we just asked, (laughs) if that makes sense. That's a lot of question. Yeah, I I wonder if to a degree they are on a continuum. They're, They're not just discrete. Okay, does that make sense? That I think there is with a transcendent moment, there is can be a bit of a a wow factor, an overwhelming. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, does that make sense? Yeah, almost like a fall down on my knees moment of like, what's Job say? I've heard of you, but now I see you with my eyes. That that kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it could be a part of that same continuum. Um. I think you're asking as well about our transcendent moments, right? Or lessons we've yeah, learned. Yeah, I would. Or... I, I guess I just wanted to define what it was first, and maybe I asked too much too quickly. Um, it, like you used the example, um, well, a great example, as the the transfiguration uh, of Jesus, right? And like that is an incredible moment. Like how, if you're Peter, you, you, you sort of write the story from the perspective of Peter. How do you go about looking at Jesus the same way after seeing this incredible tr- transfiguration of him? And so it's, it sort of occurs to me, you know, like you, you have moments, right? You see people get healed. And I mean, those are pretty incredible moments, but maybe that sort of relates a little bit more closely to the shimmering attraction sort of, you know, he's trying to get my attention through these things, but then you're like, whoa, this is totally something new. Um, And and most of us, we're not seeing Jesus's transfiguration, but there there are moments that change us like that. Yeah. So I can tell you an example that Mm -hmm. comes pretty quickly to my mind. And I, we would define a transcendent moment as a moment when 
it's almost like the veil is pulled back and we see the vastness of God and we have that that aha, that epiphany that there is a God who is holding all of this together. And it, it often can kind of take our breath away. Mm-hmm. So about 15 years ago, David and I, um, and I won't go into a lot of detail, we'd been on staff at a church for 10 years. It was became a mega church. A lot of that time was rich and exciting and really amazing. The last year was really awful. It was just a heartbreaking, demoralizing, devastating year for us for a lot of reasons. And so we unpremeditatedly both resigned our pastoral roles from this church with nothing in place. And we had two kids in college, a third one getting ready to go to college and a fourth at home. So, I mean, it looks like an absolutely absurd move, right? And it probably was. (laughs) And yet it was also for us the most pivotal time in our life. Like that decision has changed the trajectory of our life for the Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. So, This happened in like um, early October, I think. And in January, we flew to Phoenix and David did some training to become uh, a qualified, uh, to use the Myers-Briggs and Strong's interest inventory as Mm -hmm. a a certified um, trainer. And so while we were there, we decided that we would drive up to the Grand Canyon. And I mean, just to understand at this moment, I was in, both of us were in these this deep and dark depression, close to despair. Our hearts were broken. We left our community. We left our gainful employment. We, we were so wounded and bruised and beat up from the experience. We were in bad shape. And so we were approaching the Grand Canyon, and I had this sense of anticipation as we were driving into the parking lot. We literally pulled into a a parking spot and there was a railing in front of us and I could barely see over the railing into this enormous cavernous canyon and I literally broke down and just began to sob. I mean, I was just taken over by emotion. And we got out of the car and we sat on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And I think what happened is that God opened me to, to God's greatness and vastness. And I looked at this magnificent creation of God and knew that as large and, and, and incredible as this is, God is larger and even more incredible. And somehow that transcendent moment reassured me that God was with me and God was in control and that God wasn't going to abandon us and that we could trust God. So that was a transcendent moment. And it has, it really did. It, it was something I'll never forget. And it has mm. been, it was life altering. Those moments when we taste God's goodness are incredible. When you find yourself in one of these moments, whether it's a shimmering attraction or a transcendent moment, take the time to pause and just be in that moment with God. In our fast-paced culture, we're often tempted to savor them for maybe a few seconds, if at all, and then move on. But I want to challenge you to do more. As you go about the rest of your week, pay close attention and look for these kinds of moments. Ask God to help you become aware of His presence and His work in your life. Then go about your week at a pace that will allow you to recognize those moments 
when they happen. When you see or notice God's work, I want you to take at least five minutes to just enjoy the moment. If it happens while you're stuck in traffic, pull over and take a moment to enjoy it. If it happens while you're having a conversation with another person, take a moment and invite them to enjoy it along with you. Wherever you're at, take the time to enjoy the moment of the presence of God in your life. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Dave and Beth's work, check out fallcreekabbey.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Dave and Beth unpack how our view of God affects our relationship with Him. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.